Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone This is Fran Lewis, your host of MJ Network After my sister, Marsha Joyce And welcome to Snowstorm City uh, you're going to warm up after you hear about death and tranquility. As a matter of fact, you might want to have a drink right after you read it and hear about it. As a matter of fact, I'm sure you're going to want to order a copy of the book because this stuff smells and tastes so good, just in your own mind. Within this town, there is a sinister or ghost-like quality that hangs over the town. Bartenders seem to be the center of several deaths, and working at one seems to be dangerous for all. Avalon enters the McTavish Bar to get a drink before catching a train, but she never does leave. Avalon is on the run from her life in Los Angeles and wants to start over. So having a drink while trading trains in tranquility, New York seems to be the answer. Welcome to Death and Tranquility, and the author, Sharon Linnea, is here. Good morning, and I hope everybody warms up with a copy of your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. It's certainly snowing where we are. Yeah, well, this is unique because the title of every chapter what I just put on Facebook so people want to listen um, is the name of a drink but we won't get into that as a matter of fact um, the next to the last one my grandfather would have loved because he loved schnapps he used to love ah. schnapps not me I'm so good so tell us about the town of tranquility and how do you how did you create this as the primary setting for this novel because I don't know how many people would want to go there it's interesting <laughs> well, it's kind of like you wouldn't want to travel with Jessica Fletcher. Um, people just keep, corpses yeah. keep popping up. Uh, Tranquility is based on the town of Lake Placid, New York, which is a beautiful town without many corpses at all. And the reason I chose um, Lake Placid, I, first of all, I love Lake Placid. And if you've ever been to the Adirondacks, oh, my goodness, the topography is just stunning with the mountains and the lakes and everything. But uh, Tranquility, I mean, sorry, um, Lake Placid itself has a great history. Not only does it have the Olympic history with two Winter Olympics and all of what's going on, because it's one of two places in the United States where you can train for Winter Olympics all year long. It also has um, a history with the golden era of Hollywood, and it has really interesting mansions that you can reach only by water. And Mm. it also has an ever-changing group of tourists who bring in their own drama. So my son went to college near there, and instead of staying in his college town, I my husband and I discovered Lake Placid and I fell in love with it. And I started going back there by myself. And when I was dropping my son off or whatever, 
and <laughs> going to bars and sitting there and talking to female bartenders. And the stories they told me were wonderful. And, of course, well, my, uh, my son, when he was about to graduate from high school, said that he would like to learn to bartend so that he didn't have to do a minimum wage job during the summers to make money. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to learn to bartend too. So he and I went to bartending school together. Oh, nice. And I know, right? It was probably the most time we've spent together. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I realized when the few times that I actually did bartend that what I loved about it was talking to people. And I think that writers, I think novelists especially, are voyeurs. Um, we love to hear the stories of people's lives and what's going on with them and why. And it's just never-ending fascination for me. And so I thought it was, it made perfect sense to have a crime solver who's who was wonderful at really deep listening and figuring out what was really going on. Well, that's how you made the book authentic and real. And you didn't have to sit there and do research because you were actually doing it yourself. But that's what made it real. Yes. Seriously. But I don't drink, but the, 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 I could just smell the drink. It smells so good and really fun. Well, yeah, and that's what, that's what I'm hoping. I, the, the joke is I don't drink very much either. Um, but I worked on the drinks with an award-winning bartender from Lake Placid named oh, nice. uh, Jamie Lynn. Yeah, and she had just won all, all these national this national award, and she so it's not like you pick up the book and it's how to make a margarita. You can find that anywhere. She really is great at figuring out how to put tastes together. But like I said, I, for me, it, it's fun to have the drinks there. But if you don't drink, the book has to carry itself. The story has to carry itself anyway. You can love the book anyway, and you could just suggest it like I did to someone and send them a copy. I mean, well, seriously. I'm all for that. You bet. <laughs> I, I do this constantly. <laughs> you see, I, I write from a different point of view. I can't talk to people because they're dead. I talk from the point of view of the dead person behind the gravestone that did something ah. wrong or deserved or didn't deserve to be there. When my sister died, I spoke to her headstone, and I said, how come... This happened to you, and she sort of answered me in a way, so it's scary. But life people are better. Well, you know, one thing that Avalon, our heroine, says is yeah. that she loves collecting people's stories, and it started yeah. when she read, um, oh, I know the name of this perfectly, um, the book the book about that goes through an entire cemetery and tells everybody's uh-huh. stories. Yeah. And she loved that so much that she started collecting stories of live people. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, what a good idea you had. So it, it just bothered me that she died. And then I had to run her final service to, uh, unveiling. I did it by myself for her and her, my, my, my mother and I said, yeah, gee, Marsha, if you could tell me what really happened, <laughs> what would you tell me? I can almost bet what the truth was. And then I walked around to the other graves and I said, if you, all of you could tell me why you're here, were you here for a good reason? Because you just were sick or did somebody put you there? 
thought it was big. It's cool. So we meet Avalon, who's waiting to connect with another train to leave for a destination, but she never makes the train. How come? That is true. She has enough time in between trains to go get some lunch and a drink, and she is sitting at the bar when the bartender disappears, and she volunteers to help the distraught young bar back um, find him because drink orders are piling up. And, um, yeah, and when she finds him, she, he he is deceased. And that is the turning point of of the book, and that's what drives the rest of the action. She's, she's amazing, though. Well, working as a relief bartender, the chef and the staff cannot understand what happened to Joseph. What makes them think it was odd? And then what, how does she find him, and what does she do? That's so sad. Bartenders have bad luck. Avalon better watch out. I know, right? Well, yeah. Well, uh, he he he's the kind of man that would never just disappear without telling anybody. So they yeah. don't know what to do, and so they send. And that's why Evelyn's happy to get up and go uh, looking for him, which is why she's the one who does eventually find him. That's so sad. That's a good way to start a job. Anyway, nothing like finding a dead body, right? No, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, really. If my phone would cooperate, then I wouldn't have to sit him. Okay, thank you, phone. Okay, now, are there suspects? And who owns the bar? And then she enlists Avalon to tend the bar. She's a natural. We know that. Yeah, well, I think what happens is, well, she doesn't know who owns the bar at the time. Uh She comes back in and is talking to the bar back, the young woman behind the bar, uh, and has her call the police because she doesn't want to get involved if she's anywhere yeah. when she has to. Um, and as long as she's behind the bar, she is a bartender, and I think, of course, given the situation, you would be nervous. So when as drinks come in, she just starts making the drinks, I think probably more to keep herself occupied and not freaking out. Um, and as it turns out, when, and, and I did the research on this. I talked to the state police <laughs> inspectors, and I said, look, if there's a, a corpse and people, people are in a bar, you've, you've sealed off the bar, no one can leave, um, would you let them keep drinking? And his response was, let them keep drinking truth serum? Are you kidding? I'd let them have as much as they wanted. Um, I would imagine. So, <laughs> so actually, I guess it's true. It could happen. So she's pouring drinks, and uh, and the bartender, the the owner, is sitting there at the bar. She does not know that, um, and just watching her handle herself very well. That's amazing. The owner seems to want to make it sure it's business as usual. That's why. So tell us about the upcoming film festival. Now this part really got me. Because, you know, based on me, who are the ghost seekers and their staff who will create this film, Ghost Seekers? Like, better than Ghostbusters, that's for sure. I know. Well, there there are actually two different things going on in the hotel. One is a, a television program that I made up. And the same thing that the town is based on Lake Placid, but it's a fictionalized 
version of Lake Placid, the ghost hunters are a fictionalized version of these television shows where they go and try to find um, uh, paranormal activity in haunted places. So they are coming to try to find the ghost of uh, one of the Hollywood um, uh, Golden Age stars who used to live there and who is reputed to be haunting the hotel. There is another group of folks from Hollywood who is trying to make a feature documentary about this woman, but not finding enough information to warrant doing a whole other documentary. So they're hoping that the ghost seekers will find something to make it more interesting. I love that. That's the part that made me really like not put the book down and just Mm -hmm. sit down and read it, which I did. In a very short time period. Tell us about the book. Well, there's two ways that I read a book. No, seriously. And Cheryl's there. Hi, Cheryl. Um, Either I sit down and read it right away and get eyes straight (laughs) and read it in an hour and a half, two hours. Or if it takes me more than two days to read the book, you're in big trouble. Which means that (laughs) I took a snooze pill. And there you go. I just got a few that are like five, eight to eight hundred pages, and I really wish people would make books like that in triple large print. It would be so much easier. Those are the ones but I wait. But how many pages they'd be. Holy smoke. Yeah, it's these murder mysteries, and they're really like um, historical, whatever, and they go like, help me. And then yeah. I have one. <laughs> the ones I hate the most is self-help, and I did get one self-help I won't say what kind and the only reason I did it is because the person that asked me to do it is really very special and his daughter is the producer of The View Ah. so he he asked me to review this book and interview this guy and I said oh why not so I will give it a shot there you go tell us um, who are the members of this filming staff that are going to create this beautiful film oh yes well this is a, a turning point for a tranquility that the the new girl, the new person in town isn't only the new bartender, but mm-hmm. um, there's a, uh, a publicist from Hollywood named Jerry Raker who is very interested in Hollywood golden age and loves. There are two actresses that are based on Ginger Rogers and Carol Lombard. And, um, and again, they're fictionalized versions of those two people. And, so they, along with a local um, newspaper man and PBS producer named Brent Davis, are doing this, and another publicist named Addie Moon, uh, are, are doing, trying to work on this film and trying to find new ways in that other people haven't found before. Uh, let me see the next one. Put my glasses back on. When Avalon is offered a job at the bar owned by McTavish, why does she consider it? And how? Oh my God! I I was to die for that suite. Oh my God! Staying in a beautiful <laughs> suite for one night. Tell us how she meets Philip and why they seem to bond. And watch out, Evelyn. But I know she is on her way to. Well, she's she stays she's staying in McTavish's um, seaside cottages, which she loves because it's a Scottish hotel in the middle of the Adirondacks. Uh, there is no sea, so it can't be seaside, and they're not cottages. So it's exactly for her. It's a rambling mm. hotel that goes over lots of 
uh, hills and valleys. And so she's trying to find her way back to the lobby mm. the next morning, and she literally trips over this little dog who is Aww. helping a young man um, paint the room. Paint. He's hired to repaint the hotel room, and it's one of those situations I believe when there's so many rooms that when you finish at the end and there's only one painter, you just go back and start painting again. Mm-hmm. So she she meets him because she nearly knocks over one of his open cans of paint, and he's of course incredibly remorseful. But then that's how she meets Philip, and she meets a little whistle, the Pomeranian. She sounds like me sometimes. You just never know. <laughs> so tell us about Sweet Seven. This was scary. And who lived there before she died? And I don't know if you well, want to go in is, there. Yeah, well, it's true. But this is that's the suite where um, the woman based on Ginger Rogers lived when she was there at the hotel. And there, uh, and it's a number of people have seen her since she passed on, and that's the suite where they are coming to do, the ghost hunters are coming to try to find paranormal activity in hopes, and the people who are doing the documentary on her are hoping that they'll find something so that they'll have an interesting way to go forward with the documentary. So it was, uh, oh, and, and she was also the, the great hostess of this hotel back in the day. And she, mm. according to the book, which is fictional, helped the town get the Winter Olympics. That would be great for anybody, the Winter exactly. Olympics. As a matter of fact, that was funny. Last night on Jeopardy, the question was, so I was surprised. I actually knew the answer, and they said um, this particular event was was taken away, taken out of the of the Winter Olympics, and that was figure skating. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And there's no more figure skating. That's so sad. That's that's is that true? Like the, yeah, that's a, yeah. That was the last question in Final Jeopardy, and they all got it wrong. I've never seen I, three contestants get them all wrong. Um, the person that won was left with practically nothing, but he won, and they all got it wrong. And it was figure skating that was eliminated, according to Ken Jennings. What can I say? No kidding. Yeah, I was wow, like, well, I would be very disappointed, also. Yeah. So why is this the focal point for events to come? Um, the oh, what happens in Suite Seven? Yeah. Um, well, it yes, it does stir up not only possible paranormal activity, but yeah. um, someone who feels he has to be the caretaker of the reputation of the Carol Lombard figure. And um, mm. in real life, Carol Lombard and Ginger Rogers were known to be rivals. And uh, Ginger Rogers was very prim and proper and uh, very um, religious. And Carol Lombard was a woman before her time who used very salty language and didn't care what Ginger Rogers thought. So uh, you put the two of them together, and I think you have a good old time. Um, but there is someone in town who believes that digging around in uh, 
Ginger Rogers or the woman based on her um, background, or if God forbid they find her ghost, would mm-hmm. sully the reputation of the actress he loved. I love Ginger Rogers. I love Fred Astaire. Yes, me too. And I couldn't dance, but my sister could. My yeah. sister could dance just as well as she did. She was amazing. Oh, wow. So then there's always oh, the clutch of the thumbs. I don't care. So who are the <laughs> other people that I, – I had to go to dancing school and be tortured on Saturday, and the only thing that saved oh, no. me was the – yeah, my, my sister loved it. My every my cousins, it was required by my mom because I was overweight, not mm-hmm. anymore. So I had to go to dancing school and dance, and they played all the music by Ginger, all of that. And I said to the lady, I don't want to do this because I really can't. And I played the piano, so she let me help play the music for everybody if I try oh, to do something. Oh, what a good idea. My brother yeah, that was is good at um, that. A, a very gifted musician, and my parents made me go with him to, mm-hmm. uh, and we both had to take piano lessons from a very I love piano teacher. lessons. And see, and I did not. The, what saved that for me was that in her waiting room, she had this, mm-hmm. uh, the full um, line of all the Sherlock Holmes books. That's what saved it for me. That and finally, I told my too. parents I had to save my fingers for typing. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm not no, sure I, I love piano it, lessons, I and I, I adored piano lessons. I said, well, well, yeah, because then that worked, worked for you. Wow! I'm, yes, I loved every minute of it. I, I took, I majored in music in college. That that's a whole other story. How I got roped into that. It was really difficult, <laughs> and I ran the music. I was a reading and writing specialist, but I did the music programs. I loved playing the piano, so at least wow. that benefited. So there are a lot of yeah. people that play important roles in this book. We have Reverend Layton, Lee Chandler, Marta Brent, Jacob Paul. Which ones do you want to share? Because we don't, you know, we can't give away everybody. No, that's right. And and um, when she gets to town, there's a whole list of people that she's getting to. I yeah. mean, well, she, she, she's getting to know. But and hopefully, the ones that seem like she really doesn't, you know, that they're not her cup of tea at the beginning. As you go through the books, you find out more about them, and you see why they do what they do. Um, Reverend Layton, Marta is her barback, who I love, with teal hair. And um, it, and Marta, well, it's I'm giving a little bit away, but Marta's a sensitive, and she claims she can see ghosts. Um, and her father, Reverend Layton, is a conservative pastor who doesn't know what to do with the fact that his daughter claims she can see ghosts. Um, and then there's the Episcopal minister in town who is named Hannah Brixford. And, um, at, and at the beginning of our stories, um, Avalon just, just, for reasons of her own, wants nothing to do with religion. And so that she keeps getting thrown in with those people is a, is a thing for her. But there are, I don't, but the book, that makes the book sound like there's a lot of religious people there. It's not about that. Um, but she loves, she comes from Hollywood herself, so she loves uh, finding out about all of the, what what Hollywood said really ha- happened and what then, what really happened to some of these players from long ago. That's interesting. So how does Avalon, now this really got me upset because I like Avalon. And lately some of the main characters, I was hoping that some of the authors would kill off. 
No, really, seriously. Um, so how does Avalon become a target of a dangerous killer along with Glenn McTavish? And they better not kill Glenn because I really like him too. I like Glenn too. God bless him. Um, and again, this is somebody who is, we're trying to figure out if the person who killed Joseph, who's the bartender, is the same person who is, and it is giving a little bit away to say that the, there's a fire in Suite 7 and Glenn is nearly, um, Glenn is attacked and that it has to do with someone trying to preserve and keep uh, shining the memory of one of these Hollywood stars and not understanding at all what's actually, what did actually go on. I know, it's scary. So, why doesn't she leave town? Why does she stay there? (laughs) You know, she loves a good story. She collects stories. And she keeps being put into situations where usually if uh, Glenn McTavish owns the hotel and hires you as a bartender, you don't get to be in the situation when you find out old ghosts. I mean, and I'm using not real ghosts, but uh, the past of his story and and his family story um ghost in the closet of that and but she does and she i it just all really fascinates her and she doesn't want to go back to hollywood and she doesn't want to go to back to her family in new york and we find out why later um so she loves it there and she makes good friends she makes good friends philip and and Marta and others all start to become very good friends. So tell us what happens after she and Marta decide to do their own EVP and realize something odd in the morning. That was cool. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, and I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without giving too much away. Yeah, you don't want to um, tell people. I know, but it, it suffice it to say that one of the things, when you're putting together characters in a book, you really use the most interesting people that you know. And I have a friend who is a woman, and she is the most down-to-earth, no-nonsense person you've ever met, and she says things plainly and just does not brooks no-nonsense. And she, once she gets to know you a little bit better, she will tell you, that she's a sensitive and she sees dead people and you know what I don't it used to be that I would not believe that but it's really hard not to believe her because she's the most truthful person I I know and so she tells the story about how difficult that was growing up and how she didn't know what to do about it and she didn't know who she could talk to and and um so having a character, and then she did figure it out as she grew up. So having a character that is in that same situation was fascinating for me. And I didn't want to make it the main character because I want Avalon to, to go along on that journey with her. Um, but I love Marta. So this is the fun part. By the way, I got an email from my cousin, and she said, definitely. She just sent me the, her <laughs> okay. address, which I emailed to Cheryl, and um, great. She's she's like so excited because it made her day, considering oh, where great. she's headed right now. So, how do the the titles of each chapter match the events? 
How did you create the titles of each chapter and, and get your uh, glasses and shakers and bottles ready for this one? <laughs> well, you know, it's because Avalon is such a great mixologist, as is Jamie Lynn Bardowski, who I'm working with. Um, it's, it is a trick to kind of pull out a theme of each chapter without giving too much away. And then yeah. there's always a recipe that Avalon's making in the chapter or that seems to fit in with those events. So we just named the drink the name of the chapter. Well, if you want to know what the drink is made of and why she chose chapter titles like she did, you're going to have to read the books. I'm not going to tell you. But <laughs> That's a true I mean, thing. The, the titles, <laughs> I mean, the best one is chapter one, Death in the Afternoon. That should tell you something. Yeah, well, yes, and that's a and it, that's a classic. And if people really, are interested in getting um, a book that has some of hers from the second book, some of the recipes from the second book too, they just need to go to SharonLinnea.com or BartendersGuideToMurder.com and give me their email, and I will send them one. Not only that, but I have it inside, and I had to hide it from anybody that came here. Well, nobody comes here because of this lovely whatever. But I have the little guide that came with it, with all the drinks, too. Yes, the drinks so. to die for. Yeah. Yep. So you created drinks at the end of each book, so it's sort of like the cha- the chapter. How did you make the chapter sort of reflect the title of the of the drink, which really made it good? Yeah. Well, we sort of did it the other way around, where you would write the chapter and you would hopefully keep the chapter moving along, but then you go back through and yes, Mm -hmm. there was um, when, when Philip comes to help um, Avalon and Glenn, he gets their blood on his hands. And so, no, it's Avalon has blood on her hands. So he, so there's a bloody handprint on the wall. So of course Mm -hmm. you have drink called bloody handprint. Why wouldn't you? That's so cool. So why does she become part of the investigation, and why does the investigator trust her? Well, she's really good at getting well with people, so. Yes. Well, and in this book, the investigator is in in um, in Lake Placid. There's an interesting uh, situation where there's town police, I mean village police, but then there's the state police that if anything like murder happens, they call in the state police. And so this is the state police inspector. And uh, the two of them do hit it off. And part of it might be that Mike Spaulding, the inspector, um, is a a black person of color. And uh, Avalon, her family, um, leans that way. And uh, they sort of get each other and trust each other. And Mm -hmm. she trusts that if she tells him things that may or may not pertain to the investigation he knows enough to take them or leave them um and in the second book the inspector she's working with just has no interest so she kind of has to solve it by herself (laughs) that's why i like her but what i really like seriously because i've read so many books thousands really um yes i bet there were two, two. There were three Jessica Fletcher series, the one by Donald Bain, the one that with John Landed, which is phenomenal, and the new one that I have decided whether I want to read it or not. 
And you didn't make it a Jessica Fletcher or a Hetty Winthrop, or you didn't make it an Agatha Christie. You just made it your own. That's what really made me want to read this, seriously. Oh, I'm really glad you felt that way. It's, it's different. So what happens when one killer is caught? We won't say who it is, because if you want to know who killed anybody, you have to read the book. Why does she realize yep. there's still somebody else out there? Um, well, the, you know, it happens where the person who, who is caught, who's causing a lot of the problems, uh, wants some attention. And when mm-hmm. that person um, could get more attention by claiming to have killed the bartender and doesn't, mm-hmm. they're pretty sure that that's, and, and that person also has an alibi. So they're pretty sure that person did not commit the original murder. So did I leave out any characters? There are a couple of more characters in the book. Then I have the book in front of me. And um, who else do you want to share? And then we're going to talk about the rest of my questions, but you've got to tell me how you picked the cover of the book. It's really good. Well, you know, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you asked that. Um, you know, it's not often that authors get that much of a say in the cover of a book, but when I was, uh-huh. I love art. I love visual art. And for me, um, if I have a little time and I want to go shopping, I look, quote, unquote, shopping. I go and look at websites of, of agents who rep um, painters and illustrators because I just love that. That's very evocative for me. And I found this illustrator who had done this fabulous series for um, a gin a kind of gin, and it was a very um, uh, Art Deco series, and I just loved it. And I said, is there any way that, first of all, we can afford this guy, but secondly, that Mm. he would be willing to take those um, gin ads and make them into a bartender's guide to murder in a book that would kind of look like it was Mm. a bartender's guide, but it's to murder. Um, and, you know, fortunately, he was, they said yes, and he was willing to. And, um, boy, getting that first cover was a trick because there's a, I've been in publishing for a long time. I was an editor for a long time. And they say you should never put a picture of the character on the cover because people want to yep. imagine their own character. And so, getting it to where both the illustrator and I, Bob Venables is his name, liked the character was really difficult. But once we had that, um, the subsequent books have gone much more easily. Yeah, but that's what made it real. That's what made you get to know Avalon. And then right. you put a couple of four drinks, five drinks on the outside and I'm just saying, you didn't want to put the drinks at the end of the chapter. So that that's what made her look like a real person. And the person on yeah. the cover looks like she's really Avalon. So it's oh, sort good. of just like, yeah, I said, you know, I pictured her. I go like, she's really pretty. She's blonde like me, which is good. That's as much why you like <laughs> even better. Because I'm blonde with crazy colors. And the drinks look really good. And you would not know that that's not fruit punch. Or ginger ale. Oh, there you go. Or, That's right. And the other one is like this green stuff, and that looks really interesting too. Maybe it's pistachio or something good like that. So 
Oh, I love pistachio. Is there a, there's another character, Lee. Do you want to say or share anything about Lee? And why does she want to remain? She doesn't want anybody to know she's there. Well, it's true. And it's one of those things where um, something bad that happens turns out to be good, where uh, one of the characters is mean to Avalon when she's walking Whistle, the little dog. So instead of turning around and having to walk back past this person, she keeps going when she doesn't mean to. And it's just as somebody is putting out a for rent sign in this beautiful, idyllic little glen uh, behind the main street. And she ends up living there. And Lee Chandler is her landlord. And Mm -hmm. Lee knew, uh, claims that she knew the uh, um, Carol Lombard character. And Lee herself is interesting because she's a night owl, so she's up all night. And um, (laughs) so whenever Avalon is going to bed, Lee is just getting up. Uh, But they, they become friends and interesting things. She has interesting ties to other people in town. We have to share something about Joseph. Without going to say who killed him, how dare they right. kill this man? Um, tell us about Joseph. What kind of a person was he? Because, I mean, the fact that he disappeared surprised everybody. And there had to be a yes. reason why somebody would have hurt this guy who's really a good person. So tell us a exactly. little bit about Joseph. Well, Joseph is one of those people. Well, he He ended up in town much like Avalon did. He grew mm-hmm. up. Uh, the son of a mayor in the Midwest. He went to law school. His father was a lawyer. He was expected to follow in his footsteps. He he went to law school. He took the bar exam, and before his results came back, he just left because he didn't want to do it. That wasn't the life he wanted. And much like Avalon, he was stopping in tranquility and ended up having a job as the bartender and had been there for you know, decades, and he was a very kind man, and everybody knew parts of him. Um, there are some politics going on in the town, and mm-hmm. he, the irony was that he had just agreed to run for mayor, um, And but not everybody knew that yet, so it is mm-hmm. confusing as to why somebody would do him in. How many bartenders got killed in this place that I wouldn't want to go into? (laughs) Well, it was only Joseph, and then back in the day uh, with with Ginger Rogers, the one who was bartender back then. So it was only the two of them. So So I didn't read the second book. I'm I'm ad-libbing here now. I have a whole bunch more questions. Um, In the second book, are you bringing back Sweet Seven again? Sweet Seven is not in the second book um, because that focuses on the death of an Olympian. Um, So that takes us to some of the Olympic sites in the area. But I will tell you, and I have told no one else, that book three is then takes place um, at the film festival. And we are back. We are back with um, some of those cast of characters. Well, you're going to have to do another tour with Cheryl so I get to do this again because I'm having too much fun <laughs> despite the fact despite the fact that it's snowing outside, but the sanitation department has plowed. They're so amazing. Okay. There, there is hope here. So how did you create, without telling anybody who did this, because we don't do that, how did you create the final scenes of the killer who killed Joseph? 
And then we're going to talk about um, when you create a, a character in a series, how do you make it so that people want to read it? It's not just another book with another plot for the cat with a, with a, in a series. I'll rephrase that after. So how do you create the final scene with the killer? Well, you know, it was, it is something that you want to be careful with. You want to have fun with, and there's nothing I hate more than like on television dramas where suddenly the bad guy says, yes, I did it. And this is why. And it's like, no, who cares? (laughs) I mean, that's cheating. Nobody ever does that. So to come up with, you know, and, and it's, I think it's fine to say that Avalon and Mike Spaulding together have to figure out a way to have the perpetrator admit that they did it. And to do that, they had to have something that the perpetrator cared a lot about in jeopardy. And they were able to pull that off. Well, before I forget, Monday, this guy is phenomenal. Forgiving Stephen Redman, Alan Jindransky. And I just got, I am so excited. This is on Wednesday. I just got a confirmation. Just hope it doesn't change. Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child will be here at 12 o'clock with the Scorpion's Tale. They just confirmed that they're coming on. Yay! I'm like, I'm I'm like so, I am so excited. Um, on February 4th, I interviewed Iris Johansson. That was fun. She's amazing. And she yeah. said very straight, she doesn't interview with anybody, but she knows that I sent her the questions and she highlighted the ones she wanted to answer, and then we went from there. On the first, the author of The Madness of Q, and on the third, one of the most amazing authors of the Jonathan Stride series, but this is a horror, Brian Freeman, Finite. And I am, I'm like so excited. And at the end of March, none other than Philip Margolin, the madness of his his new murder Robin Lockwood book, a matter of life and death, and that's just some of what's coming up yeah. next month. Yeah, I got I got like Philip Margolin is one of the one of the nicest people in the world, and he said whenever I come out with a book, you better make sure I get an interview. So hey, perfect, was, not bad. So what did we learn about um, Joseph that surprises that had an impact on tranquility? You know, Joseph is one of those people who quietly helps people and doesn't make a big deal of it. And the things that he has done to help people that you wouldn't suspect he even interacted with um, changed the town quite a bit. And those are the kind of people in real life that I love, the kind of people who, you know, aren't, showing off about how great they are but just quietly and people know they can count on them and and they're there to help you when when in your worst times and um yeah god bless joseph i'm also sorry he's gone but uh, hopefully the people that he helped will carry on um and do what needs Mm. doing so I started to ask this before, and I've been asking that of all the authors that write in a series, and I read a whole lot of them. Sometimes I pick up a book and I'm going, okay, this is the main character. What's the plot? It's just another plot doing the same thing. And then I go, like, I don't want to read this. I've, I've read it before. 
So how do yeah. you keep it so when you write about Avalon and she's, you know, different settings, which is great, and different things, how do you do it so that it's a, it's a brand new, it's not the same character, just another plot, but you keep it fresh and interesting? Because that's hard. Well, you know, the the real answer to that, first, of, well, first of all, is to have an entertaining plot. But for me, in this series, and I've written series of thrillers and some other things, but what you need to do to keep a series interesting and going is that somehow the the plot, the things that are happening in the book serve to really turn the character inside out, that you learn much more about Avalon because of what happens um, and because of how she deals with the people in trying to figure out what's going on. So you'll see her really happy and you'll see her really, you know, her heart really hurting. And um, it's, it's it, to me, almost every book I've written, the the subtitle could be uh, The Salvation of and the name of the main character. So that, you can't... You can't change a lot about the characters in in mysteries because people have to be able to pick up the third one or the fifth one and and get into it. But on the other hand, for me, that's what makes it interesting is how how what happens is resonating with Avalon and how it is changing her and ultimately healing her. It's almost like she's looking for survival someplace else because she said on the cover of the book that she's escaping her life in Los Angeles. How come? The main thing that happened there was her best friend died of an opioid overdose. And oh, God. she found the body. And, um, and, you know, she knows technically it's not her fault, but it's, it's going to take her some time. It's going to take her some time to get past it. And no one's going to come after her and say that she did it. No, no, except herself. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, but also there's other things going on because her mother is a well-known uh, comedian and um, mm. she, her friends were in Hollywood and, and they have, they all have issues because of it. So she is trying her best to sort of struggle and become her own person. And, uh, yeah, we find out more and more about her life and her past and what she's running but, from as as the books progress. So she doesn't go for any kind of counseling or help? She just does this by herself? Well, you know, I think this is partly where our friend Hannah comes in. Hannah, who wants to be her, who is the Episcopal uh, priest and who terrifies her, uh, but and and Hannah doesn't want her, at, you know, to win her as a congregant or parishioner. Hannah wants to be her friend and a real friend, and we can all use mm-hmm. a friend like Hannah. Um, and Hannah doesn't mm-hmm. mince around when it comes to dealing yeah, with like Avalon's problems, but Avalon has to learn to trust her. Is she going to have a male person in her life? i got to ask that question. Well, i got to tell you, my book too, yes, yes. And, Uh-oh. Um, you know, and I think that's the thing. Even even in, 
uh, thrillers where I, okay, and this might be just my take on it. I don't mean to be sexist, but it seems like men are much better at having their male protagonist jump into bed with someone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you're, if you're observing the unities, like unity of time, like this entire book happens in one week. She's not going to get to town and fall in love with someone and jump in bed That's in one good. week. Um, the next book happens three months later. Check in there. All I got to say. So I mean, seriously, that you know, that's what gets me sometimes. So I've, like I said, I've read thousands. Seriously, in the ten years that I've been doing this, and um, was it more? I don't even remember anymore. And when they, when they do scenes like that, oh, she met somebody, and all of a sudden they're together. Go like, give me a break. Use your judgment. Exactly. Get to know the person. And whatever you do, there are diseases out there, really. You just, well, you don't and want in something. some cases, there's killers out there. So be careful. Yeah. You, you, you just never know. You really just never know. So I didn't read the second one. But in the third one, who are you bringing back? Which characters? Well, in the third one, um, it, it, the, like I said, the second one takes place in June, and it's set in the Olympic, around the Olympic uh, um places there uh, specifically the there's a k-12 is the big olympic ski jump it's 12 stories high and the fact that it's called death by gravity um that's a hint but the next one takes place in september which is when the um the film festival happens and uh, not giving too much away, but they do find some good angles in the first book that can make the the documentary more interesting. So uh, the people who are involved in that, who are still alive, all come back. So do you have to do some research into writing a documentary, how they would do that? No, I tend to hang out with, uh, my friends all tend to be, uh, writers and filmmakers and documentary documentarians That's great. and authors. <laughs> so and and okay, female ministers. I can't get rid of them, um, but I love it. That you're lucky because uh, the book that I just got, I just signed with Amazon uh, Atmosphere Press, and uh, oh, the title of my book is Yeah, I hope so. It's called Population yeah, Zero: The World Without People. Wow. Uh-huh. And there were no dead bodies to talk to. <laughs> and no one, no. Uh, somebody, a couple of people read it and said they've never read anything quite like it. What I do is I created worlds without sun, a world with just ice, polar regions. And I created nine worlds and I invited dead people to come back and experience them. That's all I'll say about it. So I don't okay. have anybody that. I have a couple of horror authors, and a New York Times author gave me a blurb for the back of the book and said it was unique. But. My editor on Saturday, all he did was tell me that I had five spelling errors. I go, like, you didn't have to waste time with me. You could have just fixed them yourself. That's why you're there. I don't need to know. I don't do a grammar you know, and spelling. You know, it, it it's become a thing. It's become a thing. Yeah. And, and when you're with a small publisher um, and people are reviewing your book, like on Amazon, and they'll go on and oh, on God. about how great it was, and then they'll say, and I found a typo. And it's like, you know what? St. Martin had the worst typo in one of our books that I've ever had, and nobody mentioned it. I mean, it was a one-letter typo in a thriller I did for St. Martin, but the one-letter typo made the difference between Iran and Iraq. And, um, yeah, 
that was a little more upsetting. <laughs> so well, I'll, anyway. I'll tell you something. There was um, a New York Times author, I won't say which one, and I told the publicist that there was a character mistake in the middle of three chapters. There were, the character's name was, was Carol or whatever, Carolyn, and they kept yeah. calling her something else. Um, I said, not only did they get the wrong character, they spelled the name wrong. And what can oh, I say? No. Yeah, then there's another New York Times author. I won't say who that is either, so I'm kind of annoyed about something. And um, the, the Amazon has a character mistake in the su- summary. And people that are oh, writing geez. reviews about books are using the character's name that's in the summary. It's not the character no. in the book. So they oh, obviously geez. reworded the back cover. So that is really rude. What can I say? Well, I, I agree had, with you, yes. Yeah, my very first children's book I was edited very poorly. So the I got a, a couple of five-star reviews, and this guy said, I'm going to give you three stars because you have grammar errors. I said, well, the kid that wrote the book is only 10, so give me a break. He cracked up yeah, laughing. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so what? Everybody, you know, my editor missed missed my had my book edited, and then this guy is the, is the editor from the book company. I said, "So you found spelling errors? So fix them. That's why you're here. The book's not out. So, yeah, what's next uh, for you? I hope they and do. when are we getting it? Yeah, there you go. And where can we learn more about you and your work? This is so good. And my cousin said thank you. Okay, great. Hello, cousin. Um, you can find out more about me at SharonLinnea.com or at bartendersguidetomurder.com, which not only has the first chapters of both books, but also has um, Jamie Lynn, who I was talking about, who's the master mixologist. Is There are videos of her making the drinks and of some other uh, authors who have um, a female bartender characters. Anybody who has a female bartender character um, is invited to come on to bartendersguidetomurder.com and tell us all about it. So there's a lot of fun stuff. This is this is good. And what is the title of the third one? And when is it coming out? And when am I getting it before everybody else? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, uh, the third one doesn't have a title yet. So, um, and because it always sort of changes at the last minute, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, slated for September. So we'll see. That that is so great. This has been fun. Um, I don't know yes, how much snow you. you got, but I can't even see outside. I'm looking. I'm sitting the opposite way because I don't want to know. Seriously. Um, the next <laughs> question is: Well, I do panel shows, and we talk about how you create characters in a series, or how you create your bad guy. You never know what I'm going to come up with. I come up with things that that are uh, surprise me sometimes, also. So, do you do? Do you ever do panel shows? Sure, I love to. Really? Yeah, because yes. you you never you just never know what what, what create. I'm doing one on um, with four people on May 20th. How do you pick your villain and how do you pick your adversary for your um, protagonist and how does the person not die in the middle of everything? Whatever else I come up with, and we're gonna do also <laughs> do how yeah. do you one one of them uh, in May, May in May 24th. We're gonna talk about how you use your career. In your novel, how do people use a, a, as a lawyer, a psychotherapist? How do you use what you know in your in your novels? It's interesting, right? It's just you never know what I'm going to do. But I will let you know. Yeah. But, 
Sharon, thank you so much. The sun's not well, shining, but it's, this has been so much fun. Uh, for oh, those of I've you that so didn't read Death and Tranquility, The Bartender's Guide to Murder, and those of you that like to drink, the, the, I'm not going to tell you the names of the drinks, but they are surely different. And if you mix them, I'm sure you're going to love them. Just look at the cover there of the book. Go. It's fantastic. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a picture of the cover and put it on my Facebook wall so everybody could get jealous that I have it before oh, that. Oh, gee, thank you, Fran. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. And it's not going to snow on Saturday. It's going to stop tomorrow. <laughs> Everybody have a great and day. It's and when I say at the end of start melting. What I say at the end of every show because this pandemic has really gotten to me and I haven't seen my family in a year and a half. One small ask, please when you go outside, be smart, wear a mask and do what the guidelines are and protect yourself and protect me. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank Everybody you. have a great day and bye. Okay, bye-bye.